This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hey everyone, before we kick off today, I have to share some big news with you. My book is here. Midwife Pip's Guide to a Positive Birth and it's available now via the links in this week's episode description for pre-order. I've written this guide to hold your hand as you navigate preparing for birth. It has my knowledge of over a decade in midwifery to make sure that you are properly equipped with honest, reliable and evidence-based information about your body, baby and birth so that a positive and empowering journey that you deserve at this important time can be achieved. Click the link in the episode description to get your copy ordered now. Pre-orders are super important and your support in helping me on my mission to empower women means the world. Hello, I am back for the third season. And wow, so much has changed since season two. Mainly in that I've been on my own journey through pregnancy and have joined this crazy, incredible club of motherhood. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Pip, a practicing NHS midwife and enthusiast of all things women's wellness. I have a somewhat relentless passion for ensuring women are empowered with real, honest and reliable information and support throughout their pregnancy. Because my goodness, pregnancy is such a powerful time in a woman's life that is often miraculous and challenging in equal measures. Over the upcoming weekly episodes, I am joined by many leading experts to bring you the evidence-based information and top tips to navigating your pregnancy and motherhood journey that you need to hear. Needless to say, I had my notebook at hand when recording this season, and I would recommend the same for you too. I hope you're ready for the giggles, knowledge bombs, and empowering chats to commence. But before I get quizzing our guests on this season, I have some questions for you. Have you found yourself with unanswered pregnancy questions? Have you been guilty of trying to navigate the rabbit warren of inaccurate information on the internet? Do you feel that extra support and guidance would be useful to you? If you answered yes to any of these, then fear not. My exclusive Your Pregnancy Journey course is for you. Spaces are limited, so if expert guidance through each stage of your pregnancy and birth preparation and a community support group with 24 access to asking questions sounds like it's for you, then head over to www.midwifepip.com now to check it out. And I look forward to getting to know you better and ensuring your pregnancy journey is the most empowering and positive it can be. You'll also find information all about my antenatal course options on my website. And any questions about choosing the right course for you, then please get in touch via the contact page and I'll be there to help you navigate the right choice. As women, we seemingly spend half of our lives trying not to get pregnant and the other half trying to or worrying about our abilities to conceive. The journey to motherhood is not always plain sailing. And for some parents, it's full on stormy, dark skies. Operations, injections, lengthy waits and baby loss feature in many more parents trying to conceive journeys than most of us are aware of. Infertility and fertility struggles still remain a huge taboo subject, but it's so important that parents on this journey can recognise they are not alone. On this week's episode, I am delighted to be joined by Sophie Martin, a fellow midwife. Sophie is known on social media as the infertile midwife. 
Sophie has shared her trying to conceive an IVF journey and I am so pleased that she's giving up the time today to talk to us about her journey and how we can support those around us who may be experiencing fertility challenges. Sophie is a registered midwife who's been working in a central London hospital for the past nine years. Four years ago, Sophie and her husband James started trying for their baby. Since then, they've undergone six rounds of IVF treatment and sadly also said goodbye to their identical twin sons, Cecile and Wilfred, who were born prematurely at 21 weeks. Sophie has been sharing her story on her Instagram account, which you can find linked in the episode description to spread awareness of infertility and baby loss and to provide support to others who are also living through this. So welcome, Sophie, and thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you very much for inviting me. And first of all, we have to say congratulations because you are expecting a baby currently. How many weeks are you, Sophie? Remind me. Oh, I'm uh, 34 weeks at the moment. Oh, exciting, exciting time. So huge congratulations to you um, before anything else. And I just wondered, Sophie, if I could kind of open the floor up to you really to summarise some of the journey that you've been on, because I know it will be a huge sense of support to other parents, other women who are perhaps navigating something similar to to what you've experienced. Sure, yeah. So um, as you said, four years ago, my husband James and I decided we were going to start trying for a baby. Um, And I would say it was never like a fun, carefree time. Like I was always quite focused on, you know, really wanting a baby. So um, after a few months, I sort of had a feeling that it wasn't really happening and I know it's very normal not to conceive you know up to a year um but I just sort of knew that something wasn't right um so after about nine months we went to see the GP and um did like some tests investigations and it turned out that I had very low AMH which is something called anti-malarian hormone um and what that is it essentially is your egg reserve so it tells you kind of how many eggs have you got stored up And the answer for me was not very many. Um, So they referred us to our local kind of gynecology department um, and we had to wait months for an appointment um, and it kept getting cancelled and things like that. And then when we went, they said, yep, you probably need IVF, um, but first we need to do a laparoscopy. Oh, but there's a nine month waiting list and then a nine month waiting list for follow up after that. Um, and by this point it had been you know a year and I was desperate and um, so the thought of waiting 18 more months before we would even be referred for IVF felt like a step too far for me and um, so we actually decided to go privately and I'm so glad we did because actually it turned out they would never have accepted me for IVF anyway and um, so if you've got very low AMH like me you don't get NHS funding so I would have wasted 18 months to be told no you can't have IVF so I'm glad we didn't wait um so yeah we decided to go privately and we saw went to an IVF clinic that I'd chosen and then we started IVF literally two weeks later um and I would say that I didn't really know what to expect I think people assume that midwives know lots about IVF and we really don't at all um so we started IVF and I didn't respond great to the drugs, um, but we were very fortunate that we ended up with one embryo to transfer, which was transferred. And then nine days later, I did a pregnancy test and it was positive and we couldn't believe it. Actually, we thought that it would take several rounds to get pregnant. So we were a bit kind of shell shocked. Um, So a few days, maybe like two weeks later, I started bleeding um, so I called the early pregnancy unit where I work and they scanned me and um, the lady sonographer, she was scanning away and she was asking about our IVF and how many embryos had we put back and then um, she turned the screen round and uh, there was two little babies in there. <laughs> so it was just a really one of those moments that you just think is never going to happen to you. It was a real shock to us both um, and we were obviously very excited and very nervous as well. Yeah, so that was quite exciting. Um, And then obviously, as you mentioned as well, 
I went into very early labor with our twins at 21 weeks. So um, they were born alive. They lived for 90 minutes um, and then they both died. Obviously, they weren't able to have any medical intervention because the gestation was so early. Um, so that was obviously very, very sad. But obviously, we were really pleased to meet them because they were very sweet little boys. Um, and then after that, things went even more downhill. <laughs> I ended up having um, retained placenta for 11 weeks. So I passed the placenta kind of after birth and we went home a few days later and essentially I just didn't stop bleeding and even though I'm a midwife I didn't really I was just so kind of in the grief of losing the twins that I just didn't really think that it wasn't normal to be bleeding so heavily and so after about five weeks I suddenly said to James my husband I thought I was going to die um, because the bleeding just was so heavy. Um, and I thought if I went to bed that night, I was going to bleed to death, um, which sounds so dramatic now, but that was how I felt. So we went off to A&E and they told me I had retained placenta. Um, and then I had an ERPC to remove it and it didn't work. So then that's why I hung on there for 11 weeks and then I passed this bit of placenta. Um, and that felt like a real kick in the teeth, to be honest, because I was really desperate to try for a baby again straight away, even though I was in no way over what had happened. But I just wanted something to fill the void. So not being able, you know, just bleeding really heavily for 11 weeks. And I actually had already gone back to work as well. I went back seven weeks after I gave birth. Um, and so it was just all a bit of a mess, really. Um, and then... I wanted to start IVF as soon as we could. So we went back to our clinic and because of the retained placenta, I really wanted to just check um, the lining of my womb. I was really worried about something called Ashman syndrome. I was being very dramatic about everything at this point. So everything felt kind of really scary. Um, so I had um, a little check of my womb, but whilst they were checking, they saw that my cervix was really short, which actually in the end turned out to be the reason that I went into labor with the twins anyway. So then I had a um, abdominal suture put in to stop labor happening. Um, and then <laughs> it just goes on, Pip. <laughs> and then after that, I did five more rounds of IVF um, to get pregnant again. So in summary, it just was a lot of operations and a lot of, yeah, sadness. I mean, wow, Sophie, you know, you have literally gone through a complete roller coaster. I can only imagine the kind of elation when you got that first positive pregnancy test and then the kind of absolute heartbreak that kind of follows. Um, I mean, yeah. And, and hats off to you as well, Sophie, for continuing to practice the midwife as a midwife throughout, because I think that's something that's really underestimated as well, is actually to be going through that journey yourself, but to be spending every day and as happy and as wonderful as it is when you support birth but to know that that's the thing that you are just dreaming of more than anything to kind of continue to practice in that way I just think is incredible so yeah absolute um hats off to you for for doing that along your journey it's just incredible strength I think strength of character and resilience that you you must have had inside you, you probably didn't feel like it but um you absolutely must have it definitely didn't feel that way, but I will caveat that and say I did end up going part-time because it was just quite a lot, um, and that had definitely made it a lot easier. When I was working full-time, basically doing IVF is a full-time job, essentially, so I was doing what was like two full-time jobs, so I yeah went part-time and that yeah massively helped me enjoy still being a midwife. Yeah, yeah, because that's it's really difficult, isn't it? That kind of dual, dual sort of not bringing that into the workplace. But you're only human, and we've only got human emotions, and and we are just women at the end of the day as well. So, I mean, that does sound, Sophie, like the most challenging roller coaster ever. And I can only begin to imagine what what emotions you and James must have gone through on on your journey to kind of get where you are, thankfully today. But I just wonder what some of the kind of biggest challenges have been personally for you or for James as well because obviously he's been on this journey with you 100% and um, some of the kind of yeah biggest challenges that you've had during your trying to conceive um, or, or IVF journey. So I would say that first year before we started IVF just when we were trying um, was probably one of the hardest points and I know that sounds silly considering everything else that followed but um, I felt very kind of 
no one so before you're like under the system of IVF or whatever like I knew something was wrong but no one is helping you so I just felt a bit lost really and at the time I was working on the postnatal ward and um which is not my favorite place to work um but you know it's very busy and it's very difficult you know shift work and things like that and you're just surrounded by all these absolutely gorgeous little babies and I just thought I'm never going to be able to get this I you know I'm never going to be on the postnatal ward ever and that I found really difficult especially as on I don't know if you're the same pit but on you know like a night shift you know if you sat at the desk writing your notes or whatever everyone will chit chat and they'll say like oh you know oh you know are you having a baby or do you think you'll have an epidural or would you like this and would you like that and I was just sat there thinking I I don't care how the baby gets here or whether I have an epidural or any of those things I just want there to be a baby and and you know it's just idle chit chat when you're a midwife isn't it of like oh do you think you'll do this or you know would you have pepidin or whatever it is and then and I just was sat there thinking none of those things are important I just want the baby yeah they're the least of your worries whether you have an epidural or a home birth or a whatever you just want that that end result and actually when when you were talking Sophie about the kind of summary of your journey kind of to date and you mentioned those waiting lists on the NHS that must be horrific so for someone who who I don't know doesn't have the option to go privately or can't navigate that the idea that you've got to wait like 18 months to even be faced with some kind of solution and like you said for you that would have been another kind of heartbreak because it would have been a sh- sort of straight answer no are these waiting lists really typical Sophie is that sort of standard yeah yeah and that's really sad isn't it I would say some people will wait two years for IVF and things like that and um, and actually where I so at the time I was living in London where NHS was funded I'm um, sorry IVF was funded on the NHS although not for me and um, now where I live there is no <laughs> NHS IVF funding um, so yeah in some parts of the country you get nothing in others you'll get one or two rounds so it's a it really depends on where you live um, yeah and it is a long wait it is a really long wait on the NHS and and IVF is really really expensive as well so it, we were just so fortunate that we were able to afford we could afford one round and we thought oh, well, if we need more we'll just cross that bridge when we come to it yeah and I mean that's just it's just not good enough is it it's just not good enough there is no there's no way of that being right like it's just rubbish and yeah for for parents on that those months that sound long already must feel like nine years you know when that's what you're waiting for every single month you know your period comes and goes and another month comes and yeah just must just be horrific now through your Instagram page so I've been following you I kind of got into Instagram we went into our first lockdown so about 18 months ago and I've kind of been following your journey since and I have to say on your page you always seem very hopeful and relatively positive throughout even though Obviously, what's going on behind the scenes is far from um, positive, probably on most days for you. How have you always managed to keep that kind of faith or have you? I don't know. But it always seems like you had that kind of hope that it would happen. I would say that I have to credit that to James, really, because I definitely had days where I was like, this is never going to happen for us. And even now, you know, 34 weeks pregnant, I'm still like, oh, is this going to happen for us? I know that sounds silly knowing that there's only a few weeks ago, but, you know, you always think, you know, is there going to be a live baby in my arms? But James definitely has been the one that's kept me going. So I'm very much like a planner and a realist. And I knew that the chances for us were very slim because my AMH was so low. Um, But James and I have always, we've been together a really long time. So we've been together 13 years and we knew very early on that we wanted a family together and actually having this saga go on for four years but we have spoken lots about what having a family means to us and ultimately that doesn't mean having a baby together although obviously that is what we would like but we were very very open to alternative routes to parenthood so although we were going to give it our best best shot to have our baby together that doesn't mean that if that didn't work out that it would be the end of the road and that was what always kept me going knowing that 
we just wanted a family so we were going to make that happen but I often say that I just I didn't stay positive I stayed determined um, like I just kept having to keep I just was focusing on moving forwards all the time like yeah it didn't really matter what how we got there but I just knew that hopefully we were gonna get there that sounds like some brilliant like midwife stubbornness coming through <laughs> that must have been an essential trait to kind of keep you getting up every day and and facing whatever was thrown at you and for for women Sophie who perhaps haven't experienced any IVF or known anyone that's gone through IVF what do the kind of procedures and things look like in terms of I mean massive obviously physiological and psychological impact on um, you and your partner and family but I just wonder what kind of a cycle looks like for you or or for anyone going through it sure now there's loads and loads of different types of IVF protocols but um essentially you will you can so you have either have a look like a long or a short so a long is where you would down regulate first and what that means is shut down your ovaries now that bit you don't have to have um but some people do have that bit I had that for one of my cycles but the other five I didn't and then what will happen is you start your period and then you go in for a scan all the scans are vaginal and they will have a look and make sure everything's okay in there and then they'll say yep you can start stimulating and that's the bit with the injections that everyone knows about so every day you inject yourself with different hormones um you know one or two um and then what you're they're trying to do is grow the follicles on your ovaries in the hope that those follicles contain eggs so in a normal menstrual cycle you will have various follicles but one lead follicle takes over and that is the one that's going to produce the egg which will hopefully be released that gets either fertilized or you have your period later so in IVF instead of just having that one follicle you're trying to grow all of the follicles which is why you have such high doses of drugs so you take the medication to grow the follicles and then you go into your clinic either every day or usually every other day and they measure how big the follicles are growing and all of this is vaginal scans so then once your follicles get to a certain size, you'll start taking another medication, an injection as well, to stop you ovulating too soon. So it's really kind of highly medicalized, very precise. Um, so you end up taking, you know, at least a couple of injections, if not more. So you keep trying to grow the follicles till they get to, you know, nice, big, plump, juicy size. And then the doctor will say, yep, yeah, OK, so your follicles are a good enough size now. It's time for us to harvest them. So what they do is... They tell you, um, they book you in for your egg collection and 36 hours before that, you take what's called the trigger injection, which is an injection that forces you to ovulate. So you take the injection and 36 hours later, you ovulate, which is when they do the egg collection. So you go in 36 hours later and, and that's normally in the morning and they um, normally sedate you, which I loved. Um, so you you're kind of knocked out and they will um it's actually it sounds really unpleasant but essentially they put a speculum in your vagina and then they've got this really fine needle that they put through the vaginal wall up to your ovaries and they'll aspirate the uh follicles to see if there's any eggs in there so essentially it's like a big needle that someone's putting in your vagina but you're asleep so it doesn't matter um and then they take all of the eggs out from the follicles or they'll they'll drain whatever is in each follicle so not all of those follicles will have eggs in and then they give them to the embryologist and then your partner has to go and do his part of the deal then mm -hmm. um, and that will go to the embryologist as well and then they'll mix your eggs and the sperm um, and you go around to recovery and wake up and have some nice biscuits and then go home and then after that it, it, you wait for a few days so they phone you the next day to tell you if your eggs have been fertilized by the sperm then they normally will update you on day three to tell you how the embryos are doing. So there's normally a bit of a drop off. So not all the eggs will fertilize, not all the embryos will grow. And so you often will start off with quite a lot of eggs, but end up with a small amount of embryos. Um, so on day three, they usually phone to tell you if you've still got embryos and how well they're doing. And then the aim is to get to day five, um, which Pip, you might remember from back in midwifery school, that's when it changes from a marula to a blastocyst. <laughs> and so that's like the cell that's development. taking me back, Sophie. Yeah. <laughs> Don't test me on it. Dust off your brain cell. Yeah. So that's, 
when it changes into a blastocyst, which is what they think is the best stage to transfer the embryo back to you, so five days later. Um, so if you've got embryos still at day five, which is obviously the hope, then you go back in and one will be popped back inside you. And then two weeks later, you do a pregnancy test. So that waiting must be horrendous. Yeah, oh my God. <laughs> so the two-week wait is just torture. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that must just be horrendous. And you also spoke about all of those hormones, Sophie. Now we know for women who aren't having any extra hormone injections, hormones have massive side effects and make massive changes to our body. So I can only imagine when you are supersonicing those with um, extra injections and extra high hormone levels, some of the side effects you must experience must also be quite challenging alongside everything else that your mind is kind of dealing with. I was super fortunate and I would say I had very, very few physical side effects apart from it gave me terrible skin. Um, But they can and the reason that I didn't have many side effects is because I responded so badly to the drugs now people who respond quite well to them will get very very bloated because obviously they're full of all these follicles um so I never had you know hardly any follicles so no bloating for me but most most women who respond quite well to the drugs get yeah really bloated and actually you can end up looking like you're in early pregnancy um and that's quite cruel but, but you're actually just stimulating on IVF. Um, obviously, yeah, tiredness, um, bad skin, you know, uh, you take quite high doses of progesterone after you've had um, the transfer, which obviously gives you delightful uh, constipation, bloating again. Um, yeah, just, it's not great. Although I was very fortunate and didn't have any of those things. But I guess for unfortunate reasons, which must have been must have been hard hard at the time. You're like bring bring on the side effects if it means that these drugs are working and we're and we're getting somewhere with it. Yeah, it's, there's um you might have heard of ovarian hyperstimulation, um and in and obviously I would never wish that on anyone. But I have said to James before, oh for God's sake, like I wish I could hyperstimulate because it would mean I'd have some follicles, um because I grow like one or two, and most people are growing like between ten and twenty, um. So I was only joking. Obviously, I would never want to have hyperstimulation. That's very serious and obviously dangerous as well. But yeah, I know what you, you're saying. I would have loved to have some more of the side effects yeah. if it, the drugs were working. Yeah, absolutely. It's like that bittersweet thing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And from all of all of this that you've been through, and also that James has been through, Sophie, because obviously, you know, he's he's gone through this roller coaster with you. Although it's, I appreciate it's your body. You know, the kind of the emotional turmoil and that that kind of dream that you'd built together before you started your your trying journey is very much with both of you. Has there been like a a significant psychological impact on either one of you or or both of you? And how have you managed that? Because it must be massively challenging. James is very, very chilled person in himself. He's not medical. So he always kind of just follows my lead. And I think sometimes it can be quite overwhelming for him because when we were kind of choosing clinics or going for consultations, I'll go in and, you know, my medical hat on saying, you know, like this, 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 and this. Um, And he doesn't always understand perhaps in the same level of detail that I might. Um, But he, he's, he's just such a chilled person on the whole anyway. So yes, I'm, so the IVF part I would say was much easier for him, but losing the twins obviously was very hard for him. Um, and I would say that for me, it has massively affected my mental health. I, yeah, have never known anxiety like it since I started IVF. It's, it's almost, I just feel like a completely different person. I can imagine. I think you, you surely can't go through events like you have done over the last four, four and a bit years now must be. Um, and not be and not be impacted by it and then also continue to do your your day job as a midwife um but but the the support that you've put on through your instagram by allowing women to follow your journey is just incredible because that would have definitely helped other people um and i know they'll be really grateful for you for you doing that and one of the things i really really wanted to um try and get across and try to um get some advice from you I suppose really is how other people can try to support friends or family who are either trying to conceive 
or undergoing IVF. And I know one of the things, I think whenever anyone's married, female and of childbearing age, the number one question that seems to come up at any friends or family party is, well, when are you going to have a baby or isn't it your turn next? And stuff like that, which we know is massively unhelpful. And I'd like to think that was a common sense thing not to ask, but I know from personal experience, it's not. And it seems to be something that everyone asks. So other than avoiding kind of those kind of questions around people, I just wonder if there's anything else that we can do to support, you know, people around us that are going through this. Yeah, I'm going to put my hands up and say, I have definitely asked that question myself before <laughs> and now deeply regret it. So to anyone that I asked that question to, I'm very sorry. Um, I now know much, much better. But uh, you're right. It's one of those things that we all ask, isn't it? And we all think because because having a baby is exciting and lovely. You know, we want that. We want that for someone else. We want there to be lovely joy and all this, you know, happiness for them. So it don't feel bad if you've asked that question because I've done it myself. Um, but in the future, don't. don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. Lesson one. <laughs> Lesson one. Never ask that question. And <laughs> um, so a, a few other things that I would really avoid saying because they can be quite upsetting. So if someone has said to you, you know, or oh, we're struggling to have a baby, don't say things like just relax because that's a load of rubbish you know if you're at the point where it's taking you longer than a year to have a baby I was relaxed at the beginning and now I'm not and you telling me to relax isn't going to help me relax and also actually there's very little you know there's no evidence that says that if you're stressed you can't conceive a baby you know I think we'd all like to think that we could have a nice calm relaxed life because that's nice but actually you know, people in very high stress jobs, people, you know, if we look at, and Pip, I'm sure you have read this as well, but things like people can conceive in war zones and in famines and things like that, which is, that's not just stress, that's, you know, that's next level kind of stress on the body. And so really there is very limited evidence to say that you can't conceive if you're stressed. So and if it was that easy, everyone would have a nice relaxing bath, go and make love to their partner and they'd be pregnant the next month, wouldn't they? If it was really yeah. that easy. <laughs> or the classic book a holiday. Um, yeah. Everyone says that. Oh, why don't you go on holiday? Um, so try and avoid saying those things. But what I would always say, if someone tells you something, and it's not just trying to conceive related, but just anything in general, um, would be just, just acknowledge how they're feeling. Um, so, just, you know, that's really tough for you. You don't have to try and fix it because I think that's where a lot of these phrases come from is a desire to fix it for the other person, which obviously comes from a lovely place. Um, but just acknowledge, you know, just acknowledgement. That must be really hard. I'm here for you. Um, can I, can I, you know, can I do something to help you? Or should we do something to take your mind off it? Or, you know, do you want to talk about it more? Because so, some people do and some people don't want to talk about it. Um, but yeah, don't try and fix it just just you know sit with that person and and you know give them the space if they need it or be there if they if they do want to talk about it um and also things that I found particularly unhelpful would be like um oh like people telling you stories of like a miraculous conception so my cousins hairdressers aunties you know friends niece they had they tried for years and then they went on holiday and had a baby that's not helpful again it's it, you're trying to fix it you don't have to fix it you just have to be there for them um, and so, you can't yeah. fix it can you like there's no. only one thing that's going to fix it and as, as a friend or family member you can't you can't provide that so yeah honestly just just acknowledgement I would say and that's for anything so you know um if someone's suffered a loss like a miscarriage don't say things like at least you could get pregnant just say that was that's really tough I'm, I'm really sad for you Um, you don't need to try and fix it you're, you're not a fixer you're, you, you know you're not a fairy godmother you can't wave a magic wand and that person's feelings be better but you can just sit with them in their sadness or in their um whatever emotion they're feeling yeah and just just being there then I guess yeah in that person that they can they can cry on or you know go go for a coffee with laugh with and I suppose Sophie the the thing I, I wonder whether the kind of the wanting to fix or perhaps for some people actually almost ignoring the situation because they're worried about saying the wrong thing. Is that something you ever experienced? Because I feel like that must be quite hurtful if suddenly, you know, if you have confided in friends or family with what you're going through to then kind of almost be slightly ignored or, or making it feel awkward. Was that ever a challenge? 
Yeah, definitely. Um, I still think people don't always know what to say to me. And that's okay. You know, it's difficult for everyone. Um, and things like uh, like baby showers or, you know, I know that some people are like not sure whether to invite me or not or how, how does that work? And, and yeah, there isn't really a rule book and, or, you know, pregnancy announcements. So how do you announce to your friend who's either lost a baby or struggling to conceive that you're pregnant? That's really, really difficult. And so, yeah, I think there's been lots of occasions where people don't know what to say to me um, and I don't necessarily know what to say either. Uh, because yeah the, no one gave me a rule book for any of this like no one told me like oh this is a guide of how to be very infertile <laughs> yeah. I wish I had though <laughs> <laughs> well maybe that's a guide that you could write going forward so that you could share some of your stories yeah. how to be infertile <laughs> <laughs> but you're right I guess there is no right or wrong is there and, and everyone's going to kind of respond differently and and I think for anyone going through a fertility journey there's going to be people around them that become pregnant while they're on that journey and and navigating that must be really challenging because as much as you know we're human we we're obviously overjoyed for friends and family who are um having babies but in in your heart when that's what the thing that you really really desire that must be really tough to see yeah well it's like a happy for you sad for me situation obviously I'm very happy when someone else is having a baby but at the same time you it does it does hurt and and that's okay. You don't actually have to feel guilty about feeling that, by the way. Like, you don't have to feel overjoyed at someone else's pregnancy announcement. That was something that took me quite a long time to learn. So at the beginning, I would be devastated when someone would tell me they're pregnant. This is obviously outside of work. Obviously, at work, everyone's pregnant. Yeah, um, and you've got your midwife hat on. It's, yeah. it's slightly different, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But in my personal life, if someone would say, you know, oh, I'm pregnant, I, w- I would actually be devastated. Um it would feel, I would feel like physically upset, you know, it would physically hurt me that someone else was having a baby and I wasn't. And then I would feel guilty for being like a terrible human being who couldn't be happy for their friend or their family member. And then actually I realised that I don't have to feel guilty for that because I'm going through something that's really difficult that most people don't understand. And that doesn't mean that I'm not happy for that person it just means that I am I'm experiencing some really complicated emotions. And that was really freeing when I realised that I don't have to feel a certain way. And actually, when, when I think about pregnancy announcements, like I was very nervous about announcing my pregnancy um, because I didn't want to hurt other people because actually this pregnancy is good news for me and my husband, but it doesn't have to be good news for everyone else. Like, I shouldn't put my expectations on other people. Like I would never expect someone else to feel happy for me because I'm pregnant, because actually they don't have to, if they don't want to, like if they're, if they're really upset by it, that's fine. Like you're going through something really tough. So give yourself a big break. That's a really valid point. And actually I think allowing yourself to feel that, that sadness is, is really valid, isn't it? And actually not, not beating yourself up or, or feeling guilty for that is a really important point, I think. Definitely. And Sophie, I wonder, so obviously we're on a, you're on a different, a different, more positive, hopefully journey currently. How have you found that with the, the kind of turmoil you've gone through in the past? Have you been able to enjoy your pregnancy? Yeah, that's quite complicated because I, really did not like my pregnancy with Cecil and Wilfred so obviously it was fairly short but um I had awful morning sickness and then I just had a lot of pain physically as well like the whole pregnancy um and so then I knew that getting pregnant again physically was going to be difficult let alone obviously the emotional part of it as well um and so I would be lying if I said I had loved it but I also haven't hated it either because I am immensely grateful to be in this position. But I would say that there has not been a single day where I have thought that perhaps it was all going to work out. Like every day I have wondered whether this is going to be the last day. So I suppose hopefully as each week's gone on, um, or as each, each week continues to go on, hopefully that will 
become a little easier for you. I, I hope, I hope, I guess the early days must be the most challenging because especially as a midwife, you know, the kind of statistics and the risks and things like that, which, which probably makes it more of a challenge than perhaps someone who didn't quite see every day kind of when things could go um, potentially wrong. Definitely having like, you know, the midwifery knowledge has not always been favourable yeah. because you just know far too much. But um, I would say that actually as it gets closer to the end, I almost I'm getting more nervous because I think, oh, I really don't want it all to be taken away now. Um, and a lot of people said to me, oh, it'll be fine once you get past the gestation that you went into labour with the twins. And in my head, I kind of thought, yeah, like I could sort of understand what they're saying, you know. I'll get past 21 weeks and then perhaps I'll feel a bit better um and then I got to 22 weeks and was admitted to hospital with like threatening labor and then from then onwards I would say it just got worse and <laughs> and actually I didn't feel better after I got to that gestation and lots of people had told me I would and I yeah I really struggled with that because I people or actually especially when I got past viability when I got past 24 weeks I think everyone was like oh but it doesn't matter if you're going to labor now and I was thinking well it sort of does because you know it's really not ideal to have a baby at 24 weeks is it and so yeah it was a very odd time around that gestation like in the middle of the second trimester of thinking things you know oh, I'm, I'm at viability now but actually the odds are still not great for my baby or knowing that uh, it's all very more you know you just think of all the most morbid things because when your only experience of having a baby has been that you didn't bring the baby home or babies home it's really hard to think that that's not going to happen again so yeah okay if I went into labor now that would be fine but at the same time I'm actually not worried about going into labor now obviously I'm worried about other things going wrong and yeah it, I just the closer it gets actually the less relaxed I feel I feel like the pressure is mounting that I just need to get to the finish line mm. that's understandable though I think Sophie you're 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 only human for sure and I think as a midwife that must be quite hard because we're kind of we're taught and, and when we speak to women especially when we work on the kind of labor wards we're, we're telling women every day you know trust your body you know your body can do this women are incredible women are really strong but actually, when you're when you've gone through a journey like you have, and probably feel a bit let down, perhaps in some ways by your body, it must be quite hard to try and to try and trust it or to to be able to trust it at all. One of my least favourite phrases in midwifery is "the baby will come when the baby's ready," which we all do at the forty and forty one week appointment when yeah. people are worried <laughs> where their baby is. Well, um, it was a little bit lengthy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, when you, yeah, when you're seeing someone at 41 weeks and they're really desperate to have their baby and the midwife just says, oh, the baby will come when they're ready, which is true. But then actually my babies weren't ready and they came. And so I find that phrase really hard um, mm. because I hear my colleagues saying it in the most, in the most obviously harmless way, because obviously they're just trying to reassure that person in front of them that it's normal for them to have not had their baby. Um, whereas I feel like, that phrase really yeah uh, really like just niggles at me because they weren't ready to be born you know and it wasn't their fault and so yeah a lot of the positive phrases and also even as midwives we just assume that there'll be a baby at the end we're you know we're like oh it's a different pregnancy this time and it's very difficult to really reconcile how much how yeah how little confidence I have that this would work out fine whereas everyone around me you know my midwives my family they're all like oh no that there, there is going to be a baby whereas I can't see that in my own head and that I think is really useful as a midwife for looking after people who've experienced loss yeah definitely but my goodness Sophie I can't wait to see pictures of you with your baby <laughs> I can't wait to see it and I'd love to speak to you you know after that time as well and and sort of see how you're how you're feeling and how you're getting on because it will be um will be amazing as far as it is as difficult as that's going to be between sort of sort of now and then for you now everyone that comes on the podcast I like to throw on the spot at the end a little bit Sophie and just ask for three top tips so I wondered if you could share with us your kind of top three tips to parents perhaps who are listening and are on a trying to conceive journey 
so my oh yeah you have put me on the spot so sorry okay. I know number one isn't going to be relaxed so that's good don't <laughs> worry about relaxing um, what I would say is um you really have to be your own advocate when you're on a trying to conceive journey um especially with IVF and things like that um and knowledge is power and there is a lot available on the internet which is really really great um so you have to you have you have to do your homework um, because I'm the same, same with midwifery, but, you know, people have differing opinions. Doctors will have different opinions there. You know, there's not a one size fits all approach. So you have to research and then go to your appointment armed with, you know, as much of the knowledge as you can. And I, as a, I, I knew so little about IVF and infertility before it happened to me. And now I feel like my brain is full of it um, and I love it. So it is possible. You don't have to be medical to, you know, understand all of these things. There's some really great Instagram accounts that make it kind of easy to understand. Um, the HFEA website, which is the Human Fertilization and Embryology Authority, that's a really good place to start. You know, there is so much available. So that that you really have to be your own advocate, um, and don't be afraid to kind of question the doctor so you know why is that your protocol for me specifically or why have you recommended that drug for me specifically um because some you know some clinics do use like a one-size-fits-all approach and which i don't agree with for any realm of medicine but it does happen so really try and work out what they're recommending for you specifically especially if you've paid for it goodness me i mean obviously we'd hope that you were getting the best service in both the NHS and the private sphere. But if you're paying for it, you'll get, you should be getting a service, you know, that's your service that you're paying for. So you, the doctor is not God. You can, you can question them. That's okay. It doesn't mean being rude or having an argument, you know, you can just question them and say, why, why have you recommended that? So that would definitely be one big tip of mine. And actually it's really important when you are doing things like this to your body, it's actually really important, even if actually the, it is the complete most appropriate management that you've been offered, it's really important that you actually understand that because, yeah. you know, it's a massive thing you're doing to your body. So, you know, and as we know in, in kind of the medicine world, everything has to be done with informed consent. Well, if you haven't been given that information, then you haven't really given informed consent. You need to understand, you know, pros and cons, ifs and buts and all of that and all of that stuff that goes around it really. Yeah, absolutely. And um, my second bit of advice would be drink water. <laughs> and that you really, really, really must drink a lot of water if you're going through IVF um, and people and if you're pregnant and all of those things. But people just don't realise how important that is. Um, and then you wanted three tips. My third tip would be um, make sure you're doing things that help you enjoy life as well, because it's so easy. And I am definitely guilty of this of letting your entire world get sucked up by trying to conceive and um, so I would say that like infertility has massively taken over my life and I'm quite fortunate that actually like doing Instagram and stuff like that is like although it is infertility related that is like the fun part for me but when I was at the beginning of the journey all I could think about was having a baby. All I could think about was, you know, what food was I going to eat that was going to help me have a baby? What uh, cleaning products was I going to use? What, you know, what makeup? Because I thought that if I used, you know, everything organic and things like that, that was going to make me more likely to have a baby. It, it, it infiltrates every part of your life. And it is really important to hold on to the bits that you enjoy about life because otherwise you'll just get really sucked up and be really miserable. And I know because I've been there. <laughs> That's an amazing last tip. And actually, I think that also leads into how we can best support friends and family because actually making them, you know, if you know that they particularly like a long dog walk or going to a particular restaurant, actually making a date for that could also be a really nice way, I think, then to, to support people as well that are, that are going through it. So I um, I love that. I love that last tip. Thank you, Sophie. Oh, welcome. And thank you so much for coming on to chat today and thank you for sharing so honestly the experience you've been through because as I said before I know that your journey and then what you've shared through your Instagram account which is linked in the description will be a source of much support and hope for other parents going through something similar. Oh no thank you and the reason I started sharing was because I was so lonely and I never wanted someone else to feel like that and um, so yeah if even if there's one person that feels like less alone um, after hearing about what we've been through and um, I know that then that you know 
that that something is good something good has come from it all absolutely and actually Sophie that just made me think I know we we just said goodbye but um the the statistics (laughs) on on, the statistics just sort of thinking about loneliness though and the statistics on um infertility or or couples that struggle to conceive is it something like one in four or one in five it's quite high isn't it you'll know better than me one in four people will experience uh baby loss one in about seven or eight in the uk will experience infertility so way more common than you think um and there will be someone else so since i kind of outed myself as infertile you the amount of people that i know who have gone through infertility and things like that is loads um, mm. but if i hadn't said anything i don't think they would have necessarily shared it with me which is fine you know you don't have to tell people um but there will be people that you know because i felt like i was the only infertile person in the world and yeah. um, i felt like i didn't know anyone who had gone through ivf and now that i'm really open about it there's loads of people and it's the same with miscarriage, isn't it? People always say, you know, that when they tell someone that they've had a miscarriage, they then realise that also that person has and their other friend has and their aunt has and all these other people have also gone through this experience, but no one's no one's talked about it. So you feel lonely, but actually there's probably a lot of other people that could be a great source of support. Absolutely. Um, and e- even things like... you. So when I joined Instagram, my account was anonymous. There's loads of anonymous accounts on there. Like you don't have to put your name or your face, um, but it's a great way of chatting to other people because actually when you do speak to someone else who's gone through infertility or IVF or baby loss, it's just amazing to know that someone else understands. And that's not even, I don't even have to talk about infertility related things with those friends, but when you talk to them, they understand the whole picture so yeah it's it's amazing and I've made some of the most incredible friends um in real life so there's an amazing charity called the fertility network and they outside of covid do regional support groups so I live in Essex I went to the Essex fertility um this was pre-covid I went to the Essex fertility uh meetup and I just met this amazing group of girls you know we're still friends two years later you know some some of our babies some are still on our journeys and things like that um but they have been the most amazing support so yeah I would definitely seek out other people yeah definitely oh that's brilliant and I will um try and link some of those um groups that you've discussed today in the episode description as well so for anyone listening they can easily check those out Sophie thank you so much I promise not to ask you any more questions and let you get on with your afternoon but thank you so much for coming on to chat today I really really appreciate your time and and your honesty oh thanks very much for having me thank you so much for listening to this week's episode I really hope you enjoyed it if you found it helpful then please hit subscribe and leave a review it really does make a huge difference to the number of women I can reach out to and empower with this information. For more daily free information, inspiration or details on my bespoke antenatal education courses or your pregnancy journey course, then head over to my website www.midwifepip.com and check out my Instagram page at midwife underscore pip. Thank you and see you next time.